Thank you for downloading Season 6, Episode 5 of Baseball Pitching the Fix, featuring baseball pitching motion expert Angel Borelli. I am your host, Joe Janish, and in today's episode, we have a few different topics. We will be kicking off first in the MLB segment. We are going to be talking about the contrast between pitchers and batters in regard to injuries and performance. And then in the teaching moment, Angel will be again troubleshooting velocity and in this segment specifically focusing on the glove arm. And then in our final segment, the pearls, well that's always a mystery because Angel likes to keep me in the dark, but uh, I'm sure it's going to be an awesome segment as always. And before we get kicked off into the MLB episode, I just wanted to go back and talk about our last episode, Season 6, Episode 4. If you haven't heard it, you absolutely must. It was all about the yips. And if people who don't know what the yips are, maybe you're old enough to remember Steve Blass or Steve Sachs or Chuck Knobloch. It's that issue where people just can't seem to throw the baseball correctly. It just goes flying out of their hand. Well, we had an in-depth episode dedicated just to the yips and how they can be cured. And afterward, Angel felt like she needed to do some visuals. So Angel, why don't you talk about what you did after we recorded the episode to help clear up some things for our listeners? Yes, I know the episode was published on Friday. So if you listen to it on Friday or over the weekend or even possibly on Monday, I believe the exercise photo videos, they're actually videos, went up on Tuesday. We did have a few videos that we discussed, but when I was done with the segment, I realized that my description of what to do with the ball possibly may not be clear and it bothers me when I'm not thorough. So I went ahead and shot some videos and we did post them. So if you don't know, if you can't remember when you listened to it, or if you listened to it at the beginning, you didn't see four videos. And actually the way I had the editor put it up is all the exercises are on the screen at one time. So it's really cool. But in these movements are not only great movements to work the fingers and wrists to keep them safe from having injury, but they're also diagnostic because somebody who has a ligament problem or a tendon problem in their fingers or wrist will probably not be able to do these movements. They'll feel something. You can always contrast it with the way the other hand does it. So anyway, they're great videos, and I wanted to let you know that I had done that because some of you, of course, don't listen to it right away. So anyway, and by the way, thank you for all the response I got. It was, Joe, it was a great, the audience was very responsive, and I got some heartbreaking emails and also some some things where other practitioners said that they agreed it was physical and they were themselves having success with, you know, dealing with it. So I thank everybody who reached out to me. So what do we have on board for the MLB today, Joe? Well, there's a thing that keeps popping up that has kind of been bothering me a bit. Of course, I don't just follow pitchers. I follow all of baseball and all of MLB. And frequently, I see things where, let's say, a a baseball batter's average is down or he's in a slump or, you know, he's just not hitting as well as he normally does. And very often, there will be a report in the newspaper or well, actually, nobody reads newspapers anymore, but the report on on a website that says, oh, so-and-so has been slumping lately, and now it's come out that he has a hip issue, and you know that's probably why his, he's been slumping. Or he's, ha- he's been bothered by a problem with his hand, and that's probably affecting his, his hitting. So it's kind of like 
with the batters, they have an injury. And if their performance is not up to par, then the injury is the excuse. And it certainly makes 100% sense to me, as especially, you know, as a former player and a catcher, especially always having little nagging injuries, always made it a little more difficult to swing the bat. And yet, we don't seem to see the same kind of a connection when it comes to pitchers. Uh, I mean, in some cases, they, they do report, but generally, you'll see pitchers who pitch very poorly, who have been you know good or very good in the past, and suddenly they're not pitching very well. And then it may come out later, like maybe after the season, that, oh, so-and-so just had loose bodies uh, removed from his elbow. Or, you know, so-and-so has been dealing with a shoulder strain or so-and-so has been dealing with a knee problem, but it never connects back to the poor performance. And, and it, it just drives me crazy. It almost in, in very few cases, do you see a news report where it says, oh, you know, so-and-so has been, you know, walking a lot of batters and, you know, it's probably due to the, to the forearm strain that he's been experiencing. And they never make that connection. And I believe that that the reason it's reported that way in the news sources is because that's the way it's talked about in the clubhouse and in the trainer's room and in the dugout. And I just wanted to bring that out. I was wondering if you have been experiencing the same thing where there does not seem to be a connection between a pitcher's poor performance and a possible injury that he's experiencing or discomfort or whatever it is that he's going through. I mean, it, it just drives me crazy. Is that something you're seeing too, Angel? Well, I from from the beginning, I always saw it because, and actually this kind of has a lot to do with the way we, we discussed the yips in our last episode, you know, always thinking that it's performance related before that it's physical related. And, you know, and part of this comes from, first of all, we don't always want to jump to something's wrong. First of all, Unless you see a pattern where somebody who is good, and you know I'm always talking about good pitchers that go bad, we need to look carefully at why that happens. There's always a reason. But when we say they go bad or when we say that your performance is down, we're not talking about a bad inning here or there. We're talking about something that makes your eyes open up. When you scratch your head as a coach, when you as a pitcher – start wondering what's going on, something's off, that is when something is off. It's not just a bad inning. In fact, when somebody comes to me complaining that they're having performance issues, I do an in-depth investigation of it so that I can determine, is he somebody who expects perfection and he just can't deal with the parts of pitching where you know things just go wrong? Or is this a pattern? Finding out, a, being able to determine a pattern other than just, you know, something that happens is really important. And I think that there's a lot of things that are intertwined with this topic. One is, and, and it's especially true with the topic we discussed the last time, the yips, that nobody thinks that that's physical is insane to me <laughs> because it's such an extreme mal performance or uh, activation of certain parts of the body. And, you know, the body just doesn't stop working like that. But I think that what happens is that there isn't really an environment for pitchers to be honest about what they're feeling. No one wants to lose their job. They don't want to miss a start. This starts when they're 10 years old and it continues on to when they're making millions of dollars. No one wants to miss a start. 
No one wants to qualitatively say that what's going on could be serious. Pitchers are wired to not be emotional about their pitching. In other words, they give up a grand slam and their face looks the same as it did when they threw their first pitch. That's the way they are taught to be. It is an important part of pitching. And so along with that goes this inability to really actually acknowledge that something's going on. So what happens when a pitcher's body starts to hurt, and I know this is the pattern because when someone comes to me for an injury, I like to know the very beginning story, and I have to I have to ask questions that wind them back. And they don't just tell the story. I have to ask specific questions, and that's how I get the details. But it always starts with something they ignored because they made a decision in their mind that it wasn't serious. So part of what you see in baseball when you hear – when you see the connection between performance and injuries for hitters, where right away they'll they'll be like, oh, something's wrong. You know, he's not able to shift his weight or do whatever. And right away they understand that it's something's wrong with the body. The hitters aren't exactly the same way about it as the pitchers are. But pitchers are definitely in denial about anything physical just because they Everybody in life is concerned that if you give energy to it or if you acknowledge it, that makes it more than what it is. So that is just a given for pitchers. It is why it's up to the coach to see if there's a pattern to start to do in-depth investigation. For example, a rotator cuff tear that doesn't hurt or a rotator cuff injury that doesn't hurt the pitcher all the time can be the reason why a pitcher starts missing because his hand is not where he thinks it is. Because when he puts his hand up, it is definitely the the humeral head isn't sitting where he thinks it is because the, the muscles that are holding the bone in place aren't really doing their job. And in fact, every pitcher that I know that has had a labrum surgery or a ligament tear, and especially the lower ligaments of the shoulder joint, they will experience lack of performance, mainly lack of hitting their spots all of a sudden. And that gets accompanied with some shoulder pain. And they think they're getting the pain because they were trying too hard because they started missing when in fact it was reversed. So I think that while, yes, it's not good that we don't jump right away to it being physical. We have to know that the pitchers themselves play a role in this because of the way they're wired. That is never really going to change, but we do need to create the environment, especially with our youth pitchers and our high school pitchers, that when something's going wrong, they need to have somebody they can talk to. It's why the guys that I work with that are in colleges and, and in the minor leagues and in different independent leagues, They call me because we can walk through it and talk through it because part of it is they're being secretive. They don't want anyone to know they're on the IL or get put on the IL because they just because they mentioned something because, of course, then a coach is going to take care of them. So I think that there is a lot of things that go on with that. And so I think we have to be cognizant. So the only thing we can do as coaches is to be cognizant of the fact that when a pitcher is having some performance issues that seem to be very unusual for him, having to do with drops in velocity, 
having to do with location issues. And it happens to such a degree that you yourself are noticing it. You're noticing it in a way where you're wondering, that is the picture that you need to pull aside, create a safe environment and say, let's talk about this because this isn't you. Tell me where you're getting sore after all your outings. And if he's pointing to any place other than the rear of the shoulder in that one spot where everything comes together or the lat, if he's pointing to anything in the front or on the arm or forearm, let him know that you just want him to be checked out to be sure that he's okay and making it safe for him and saying, and and of course saying, we're not going to pull you or anything, but we need to investigate this because something's not right. And that's the only way you can really handle it. And because of that, when they're in the major leagues, which is what you're talking about, Joe, when you read the stories and everything, this is such an advanced situation at this point, because these are guys with jobs and they're fighting for their position, that this goes on even more. That's why I always say, Pitchers need to act as independent contractors when you get to a certain place. And even when you're younger, you have to take care of yourself. You have to have your team of people that you can consult with and it can be safe. But you need to get on top of things right away. But performance for a an athlete that starts to take a downturn is a message from the body that something is going wrong. And that that athlete may have a wall between what he's feeling and what he's acknowledging. And it's up to us coaches to notice that. It's just like it's no different than a coach who notices that the pitcher's getting tired. His arm starts dropping. He notices his strides a little shorter. And he goes to the mound and says, are you okay? And the pitcher says, yes. But the coach is looking at three bases that are loaded on a pitcher who was throwing (laughs) maybe a great game. So the way that you as a coach have to kind of step in and get the ball rolling with an understanding of the situation, it's the exact same way. But that's really what's going on. And that's why we we need to pay particular attention to our pitchers because they are of that nature where – what their mouth is saying is very rarely connected to what's really going on. I have to always read between the lines because pitchers by nature don't communicate that well because they're very internal. That's why they're pitchers. Yeah. You know, it's funny now that I'm a, I have two little kids, little toddlers, something that I always have to remind myself is that I'm the parent. Right. Right. I, and they don't always know the right thing to do with like, they don't know that they're not supposed to climb up on the bookcase and, and jump off. I have to be the parent and tell them. And it's really a similar case with pitchers. They, you, you have to be the coach and take some responsibility for some of their actions because they won't necessarily do the right thing, just like a toddler won't. And, you know, further to your point, I feel like there's a whole culture in baseball and with pitchers, especially where pitchers feel like they're supposed to have pain in their arm when they're throwing or when they're pitching. It's, it's almost like, you know, like somebody, I, 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 you know, it comes from a whole, a whole different generation going back, you know, years and years. And it seems like when it, when a younger pitcher has some pain, like maybe has something bothering him in his shoulder or his elbow or wherever it is. And he mentions it to maybe an older pitcher the, the older pitcher will tell them, 
oh, you know, you're a pitcher. Of course, you're going to have pain there. I've had that before. That happens all the time. That's something you just deal with. And I think that's that's part of the problem, too, is that they don't talk about it because it's just something that you're supposed to go through. You're supposed to have pain. And and often this pain turns into an injury, which, you know, is going to affect performance. And yet somehow that whole connection doesn't seem to happen. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Why don't we step into our next segment, the teaching moment, which Angel will be talking about troubleshooting velocity once again. And today, Angel, you will be talking about the glove arm. Yes, one of my favorite topics. We've talked about this before in past years, but I want to talk about it and, and maybe be a little, add some new things to it. And because I am doing this series on troubleshooting velocity, it's a critical piece of what you need to look at as a coach when you're looking at your pitcher and you're trying to see where he is possibly not letting go of the velocity he already has in him. And you know the whole premise of this, Joe, I've mentioned it before when we start, I started wanting to do a series on this, is that you know, there's so many gimmicks these days and so many things that we do to try to get pitchers to throw harder not we, but right. others, right. but they try to get pitchers to throw harder. And so they're bringing in all these implements and things and tricks and whatever, when really and truly the first thing every coach needs to do when you have a pitcher who you know has more in him or he says he has more in him is to look at his mechanics to see where is he leaving miles per hour on the mound because he is not using his body efficiently. And so some of these topics we've talked about with the front foot, the rear leg, the rotation is critical. If any of those pieces aren't happening, they need to happen before you can actually say, okay, he's reached his peak velocity. Now we've got to do something extra. You cannot have things that aren't being done correctly and expect a pitcher to reach his peak velocity also, if you give him something extreme to do and his mechanics aren't efficient when he's just throwing a ball and then you give him a heavier ball or you give him some way to be more out of control, every problem he has is going to become more serious. That is why my role with my pitchers, they come to me and, and they all know they're not coming to me for anything exotic. They're coming for me to Make sure that their engine is completely tight. Their car is running smoothly. Everything's perfect. The way you bring your car in for a tune-up to make sure that it, before you sell it or before you think this car's a piece of junk, that you go, no, I'm going to have everything checked out on it first. And then all of a sudden, you know, it drives perfectly. So that is what my role is. So this last few weeks, I'm always busy at this time of the year. People are transitioning from their spring season into their summer ball season. Some of them are graduating, going off. I get, I'm very busy at this time of the year. And it's always either my arm's been sore or I need more velocity before I head to school for tryouts or whatever. And so this last few weeks, I have seen more pitchers improperly using their glove arm. And I have never had a pitcher who, when I showed him on video the way his glove arm is acting and show him the difference and give him a way to feel the difference in doing it correctly, I have never once had a pitcher go, oh, this doesn't do anything. And I'm talking about 
the style of glove arm where you actually stop the glove arm. And the, the issue I've seen in this last week is where not only is the glove arm stopping and not completing its full movement, but actually pulling the glove into the sternum area. And the sternum, of course, is that bone in the, right in the middle of your chest. And the pitcher will move his glove in such a way, and he stops it right there as he's turning his body to throw the ball. So if you're standing to the side of the pitcher when he's pitching, and you're standing on the glove arm side, what you will see is when he turns and releases the ball, and you're looking at it from the side, you will see his, you will not be able to see his glove. It'll be up against the sternum, or it'll be blocked by his, he'll have it blocked by, right by his stomach area, and you won't see the glove coming underneath the arm, and you will see that it is actually stopping the forward motion of the body. And it also stops the rotation of the upper trunk area. So when you have a pitcher and you're doing some of the things you're doing to try to make sure he's doing everything he can so that the ball he's throwing will actually, without doing anything extra, that same fastball will travel faster once you correct some of these things that we've talked about. So when he lands better, when he uses his rear leg better, the same pitch is actually going to be a better pitch. The glove arm is critical to having the pitching arm be able to go as forward as possible. And if the glove arm is blocking the body, now I know there years ago a coach was teaching, take the glove and stop the glove and bring your body to the glove. Now, I don't know if he actually meant it that way, but it's the craziest thing. And the way pitchers hear it is they actually do not complete the motion of the glove. So the glove is moving the shoulder blade. The glove arm is moving the shoulder blade. So if we talk about a right-handed pitcher, when the right arm goes forward, the shoulder blade is moving forward with it. When the left arm is pulling in, the left shoulder blade is moving inward towards the spine. As it does that, it's actually creating some movement for the right side. So we've talked about this before, so everybody picture this. If you watch someone climbing a rope, as they pull their right arm down on the rope, the left, left shoulder rotates upward. If you put your arms in front of you and you just put them straight out in front of you and you just go push, 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 right arm, left arm, you'll notice that they are working on a rotational axis because the shoulder girdle works in that way. Now, to prove my point about the problem with a glove arm that doesn't move all the way, and the, the reason why we want the glove arm to move through a full range of motion is because we want the pitching arm to release the ball as close to the plate as possible. So we're going to do this. And Joe, uh, if you're able to do it, because I want to make sure I'm saying it clearly, this is a little test and you're always great to do it. So take your right arm and just put it up in the air straight out as if it's your release point and you're a pitcher. Okay. And take your left arm and make a fist with it just so it's a fist, and put it right on your sternum. Okay. Okay? So, all right. Now, reach your right arm as far out as you can. So you're going to feel your shoulder blade kind of follow the arm out. Feel that? Yeah. 
That's as far as your arm can go. You got it to full range? Yes. Now, take that glove arm and remove the fist and put your elbow straight behind you so the fist is underneath your arm and see how much more you can reach with your right side. Oh, boy. Uh I I think I got another half foot. (laughs) You got another half foot. And this is not a lie. I uh, the way that I and I think I may have said this on a podcast, but it was years ago. I was a pro pitcher came to see me, of course, not knowing what I could do for him. And I saw that he wasn't releasing as close to the plate as possible. And this is all also, you know, releasing close to the plate is critical. So we've got the front leg issue, but the glove is critical. And being able to see where the release point is with his style and then changing the style, he was blown away. He hired me within two minutes. Those are the kinds of adjustments that are not reinventing the wheel for the pitcher. He's already pulling his glove arm in. He's just in the wrong lane with it. And I have many pitchers that say to me, this is like the most unbelievable thing. And they can see in the video when I show them from behind how they're rotating into the delivery, but their body stops. So the left side should continue rotating. So you've got one side going forward and one and the other arm coming back. And for you scientists out there and people who know anatomy, the pitching arm is what's called protracting and the glove arm is retracting. And when you are doing one action with one arm and you're trying to get some speed rotation, you've got to allow that shoulder girdle to move easily. It's one one arm's going forward, the other arm's coming backward, and that's a very natural motion. It's unnatural to stop a body part in the middle of a motion where everything's moving quickly. It would be sort of like, it's weird, but if you go out and walk and put your arm up there by the sternum and just walk, you will feel the difference just because your arms aren't swinging back and forth. We all know that when babies are born, the crawling of one arm and opposite arm, opposite hand, and when the knees are working, I mean, they can diagnose issues with babies who aren't crawling correctly. We have this sort of opposite kind of you know, alternating motion that occurs very easily with the body. So to take a motion like a throwing motion where the left arm's in front to start and the right arm's behind and you want the right arm to go forward, it's natural that the left arm pull backward and and go through a similar range as the pitching arm side. So for all you coaches, this is one very important thing to do. And because there's so many old school coaches out there who actually maybe learned from this very famous coach about pull your body to the arm. I don't know if, if, if what it sounds like is what he meant, but this is what's repeated that he said. And also to pull the glove to the front, because when I show pictures, I just showed someone this yesterday and they could totally see. I said, do you think your glove arm is helping you? He said, absolutely not. The other thing is, is if your glove arm is doing something strange, it can cause your body and space to be in the wrong position. So sometimes a glove arm pulls in. And so there are many glove arm errors. The one I'm addressing today is the one that I have never addressed, which which is it's stopping and coming into the body, into the trunk. You'll see the glove getting in the way of the forward tilt. You'll also see it getting in the way of the rotation. But any glove arm, 
that's not doing something right. If you see a glove arm that completely falls down and the glove is way down by the the glove arm side ankle or below his knee, that pulls the tilt over to that side instead of going forward. So the glove arm is a critical piece of the body that helps the right arm or the pitching arm do what it needs to do. So for right-handed pitchers, your glove arm's out, you pull it in, and as you're pulling it in, and I suggest you don't even do anything with your pitching arm, put it down at your side, stick your glove arm straight out, pointing towards the hitter, and then just pull it in. And notice that when you pull it in and pull it all the way, it's actually rotating the right side. So it can it can actually help. And so, of course, the lefties, put your right arm out, pull it in, you know, notice it brings the left side around. So I think this is a critical thing. And I see this, this is probably, I see this on, I would say, 85% of pitchers that come to me, improper glove arm. And when you make that adjustment, I've never had anyone who didn't love it. And one of the ways I work, I teach it is I have them take their glove off so that they aren't doing anything weird with their wrist. And I have them actually just pitch without a glove on so they can start to get the motion because when they don't have the glove on, it's easier to come under right next to your body, the arm state, the forearm end up ends up looking sort of parallel to the ground and it's tucked under the left arm. And each person has a different range, but you'll just notice that they're not being stopped. And that's really the thing I want coaches to just look at. Look at it from where I said, you know, go to their glove arm side, stand sideways, to, you know, their, be on their rear side and look to see what they're doing with their glove. You should see the, the elbow going behind the body. And then go from the front and just walk around and look at them and see if their glove arm side and the glove arm trunk side is going through full range of motion because you won't see that. You will see the glove come in and you will see it stop. And then the only thing left to deliver the ball is the pitching arm. And this is when we say he's all arm. The trunk delivers the forces to the shoulder. You can't stop that process just as it's getting to the shoulder. And that's what happens when you don't let the glove arm completely go through its range of motion and you stop it in front of the body or you hit the body as it's coming through so that the glove never passes the body. Does that make sense, Joe? Yeah, it, it comes from the old school coaching cue that um, you bring your chest to your glove. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it, it started because you had a lot of pitchers that were doing some crazy things with their glove arm that was taking them off balance. Like maybe they would fly out or, or drop it down. So I guess it came about because it was like, all right, well, put your glove like aim your glove to the catcher and then bring your body to the glove. And then somehow that was, you know, bring your chest to your glove or something along those lines. And then all of a sudden there were a lot of major league pitchers doing the same thing and, and succeeding and throwing with a lot of velocity in spite of that. And I think that, you know, that, that's the big part is you see a lot of coaches and and pitchers looking at what major leaguers are doing. And as right. we've talked about many times on this show, just because a successful pitcher is doing something doesn't mean he's doing it right. In fact, he's often, you know, just has the athletic ability to have a flaw and overcome it for one reason or another. 
Right. Well, the pictures you're seeing on TV right now are still part of the generation where there wasn't as much science involved. And, you know, I always say this to sort of make sure all the coaches out there understand. I don't expect anybody to know the things I'm talking about. You know, baseball, what we see when I'm looking at something and I see an error like this, this isn't a criticism of a coach who teaches that. You teach what you know when you're in that certain position. So if a pitching coach way back, this is something they were taught, then they go on and they teach that. And yes, it can actually, usually it's taught to do something to avoid something they were doing. A lot of things that are taught in sports motion when they're not taught scientifically are to avoid a movement that you don't want so that you can get the movement you want. When you know about how movement is created, you can actually just go ahead with designing the movement that you want for efficiency. So a lot of things are done to stop a problem, just like, oh, let's move you to this side of the rubber because you're missing outside, or let's let's have you land way over here because you're doing this. And so they're band-aids rather than the correction. And I don't expect coaches to know these things. This is why I hope you have me in your life so that I can explain some things and give you new ways to look and do things, which is I'm always following the rules of the bones. I'm always following structural rules. So you're absolutely right, Joe. And and again, the gloves are so big to the little kids that they're doing weird things with them. Sometimes stopping that glove is important because the glove's bigger than their head. You know, when I see these little kids, and that's why we have weird things with the wrist. There's nothing more strange than the way pitchers move their glove arm. It's like nothing else in life. We don't do anything in life with some of the actions I see with the glove arm, with the fingers bending and it cupping and doing just very odd things. So, and it stays with pitchers from the very start. So, youth coaches, Really, this is an important time to teach the right mechanics, but I don't expect people to know these things. And yes, baseball is still a sport of tradition. We're just now getting, you know, like the pitchers, you know, I always say I'm engineering pitchers. Well, the pitchers that I've worked with, they're the ones, they have a little more advanced mechanics. They're, They're doing things a certain way. They're a little more clean because they've been taught that from the beginning. So when you're looking at someone who's, in the majors right now who might be 35 years old or 30, they're still coming from a generation where things were taught by tradition, but it's never too late to change. And also every bit of information just helps keep our pitchers safe because if you don't rotate correctly, the glove arm action is about rotating correctly. And rotation is how you get velocity to the ball. There are three layers of that rotation. And if you're interrupting the top level of rotation, you're not going to get the forces to the shoulder that gets it to the ball. And that is what we're talking about. And the other issue is it's injury prevention because pitchers that don't rotate correctly yet have more forces on their pitching shoulder and in the front. And we don't want that. So we are protecting the pitcher by teaching them to rotate correctly. And the glove arm is critical to rotating correctly. And it's a huge player in an error of rotation. And I can guarantee immediate results on the way the ball sounds when it hits the glove. He'll throw a heavier ball. It'll go faster. And the pitcher 
will absolutely love it because it's a natural movement. And what I always say is you're not selling a picture, a bill of goods, like do it this way. It works when it's a natural movement. They love it right away. I've had pictures say that they had to spend hours trying to bring their chest to the glove. That's unnatural. And that's your first sign that it's not the most efficient way because it doesn't follow normal movement patterns. So anyway, for all you coaches, so this, this segment is on the stopping of the glove arm at the sternum level or it getting caught in front of the trunk rather than it pulling alongside the body the way you would do a, a seated row or something in the gym like that. Does that all make sense to you, Joe? And did I say it clearly enough? Oh, it definitely does. And and again, I want to bring up, if you talk to a lot of pitching coaches today, they will tell you that they teach that in order to make sure that the pitcher has more control of his pitches. And that's that's the argument that, oh, yeah, you, you can do it another way, but by bringing your body to the glove, you'll have better command of your pitches. And, and I don't even know if that's true. And really, I, I just want to put a little exclamation point on something that you said. Everything that you talk about here on the show and, and what you teach is all based on the structure and the bones and, and body movement. Whereas almost all of the other things that you hear from a typical pitching coach is based on what people are seeing other pitchers do. And it's just kind of like theory. And it's, you know, oh, well, I've, I've seen, you know, 90% of the successful pitchers all do this. And, the, and they just decide, well, because all of these successful pitchers are doing this and we've seen it on high speed analysis film and this and that, this is what these successful pitchers are doing. So therefore, it's something that all pitchers should do. And it doesn't follow any real logic other than, well, if he's doing it, then we should do it. And it doesn't always work out that way. And, and it takes someone like you with a special kind of a background, a special kind of knowledge of how the body moves to really be able to accurately describe what should be happening with pitching mechanics. It's not just, you know, you're, you, what you're talking about is not theory. It's not guesswork or just like, oh, well, I saw all these pitchers do it this way. No, you're, you're actually basing this on how the body is supposed to move. And I, I just wanted to put a little exclamation point on that because I always have an issue with coaches and pitchers who think that they know what they're talking about when they really don't. And it's, you know, it's a little offensive and it, and in the end it can hurt a pitcher. And they, well, but in defense of the coaches, they, what they're talking, they actually think they know. And so it's because they haven't been given the information to change their minds. Do you know what I'm saying? So yes, you're absolutely right. And historically it has been, it worked for this guy, so let's do it this way. And so they're grabbing onto the information and the knowledge that they actually have. So my job is to help shift them and to give them new and more information. So yes, that point is really well taken. So excellent. Great. Well, if there's a coach who agrees with doing things the right way and they know some pitchers or coaches that have other ideas, they should pass this podcast along to them. So then they have that knowledge. Exactly. Great. Perfect. All right. Speaking of passing on knowledge, I think that you're ready to pass on some knowledge and, and open up that box of pearls and give us something <laughs> really awesome and, and smelling great and shiny and new. 
Well, as I was saying about the uh, being busy this time of the year, so in the last four weeks, it started about four weeks ago, I'm getting at least three or four calls a week, and it's the usual question, I don't know what to do. Should my son play ball this summer, or should he come and work on his mechanics, or what should he be doing? And I have I get the call so much at this time of the year, and actually as seasons change, I get the call, and it's so important for especially the parents that listen to this that have youth pitchers and especially the coaches that are giving advice and the pitchers that are listening to this to have a plan and that the decisions that are made about each season are critical to the development of the pitcher but also to respecting and honoring what his future commitments are. So the group that I really want to address right now. So I have tons of pitchers coming to me or parents calling me that have eighth grade sons that have been playing travel ball because of course there's no teams in grade school and they're headed to high school. And then I have many high school pitchers that are headed off to college. And in each of these cases, the schools do have a fall ball sort of program. It may not be called the high school team, but it's where the pitcher is going to be now going to a new school and he is going to be performing in front of his new coach. And I always say to the parents, you already, he's already got his scholarship or he already knows where he's going. If his work, because we know summer ball is critical for showcases, it is very important baseball. In fact, as you go on, you don't want to miss summer ball. But you have to be making a decision as to when you're going to work on your mechanics. And what I tell these pitchers that call me is do not show up at a new school and turn yourself over to a coach when you have arm pain that started in your spring season and continued because you continued to pitch during the summer. Because I think what happens is they're not making good decisions and they get to you coaches that are high school coaches, college coaches, and you've got pitchers that are injured in fall ball because they were actually having problems in the spring. So I'm getting calls now from parents saying his arm was hurting. He only pitched a month, but we're thinking he needs to get some innings in so he's ready for the fall. And of course, I have to say, well, you have to decide, do you want him to show up? Because if he shows up and has the same pain, he's not going to be able to pitch and he's going to get started. He's not going to get started on a good foot. So when you're deciding what you're going to do for the summer, you have to take into consideration what's going on in the fall. So for the players and the pitchers that are heading to a new school, they already know where they're going. They don't need to showcase, but they have had pain and or they need to work on performance issues, get yourself to a pitching coach during the summer because the the pitcher already knows where he's going and let him work out the issues, let him rehab and work out the issues so you turn yourself over to your new school and your new coach in one piece. If you are the parent or, or a pitcher who is wondering, I don't know if I should play fall ball. You're in a high school. You have did not have great performance in the spring or you had pain. You have to sit down with the calendar right now 
And at the beginning of every season, you will do this. You sit down with the calendar right now. You know you've got to be ready for the spring. So you decide, when am I going to rest my arm? And when am I going to work on my mechanics? If you've made a commitment already to summer ball, then you still have to ask yourself that question. But your calendar starts out with that you're playing and you figure that it ends at the end of August. And then you decide what are you going to do in the fall and the spring because you know you have to make the tryouts in January to be on the team. How do you use the months from August to December? In many high schools out here, they're not playing ball. They have strength training programs or they don't do anything at all. And so you have some flexibility to make a decision. But you have to, unless you're going to a new school, like I previously discussed, you have to pull out a calendar and you have to work by season by season. So right now you'd be going summer season, fall season, then you consider it preseason and then spring season. And you look at that and you go, where am I playing? Spring is controlled. You know you're playing there. What am I doing in preseason? I know I got a pitch there. You've got only two seasons that you have control over. You have control over the summer. And this is assuming you haven't already made a commitment. You have control over the summer. You have control over the fall. You have to look at your performance in the spring. You have to look at your body. You have to see what are your goals with your pitching. And if you're somebody who's lost velocity or you're not throwing hard enough to where you're concerned about your pitching, then you need to decide when am I going to take the time to work on this. And so you make the decision and you plan out, I will rest here. I will strength train here. You have to put in a segment of strength training where there is no throwing. That ideally should be eight to 10 weeks, but six weeks is good. If you can get a solid six weeks going, that's good. So you have to plan rest, strength training, and then your flat ground throwing and pitching so that you can work on mechanics. So you've got three things to accomplish, rest, training, and mechanics. And you do that before you actually get into your actual, what we call preseason, where you're actually building your pitch count. And then you lay this out now. You try to follow it. And in August and September, you review how it went. And then you lay out another yearly calendar for four seasons and see if you're still on the roll of the first calendar that you just designed or if there's a different plan going on. But that's what you need to be doing right now. It actually should have been done probably in the middle of the spring season because you already kind of know what kind of season you're having and you have to make these decisions because I've had parents call and they already committed to the summer. And after listening to my teaching them how to make decisions, they wish they hadn't made commitments. And people are pretty good about, you know, when they commit to a team to sticking with it. And I and I respect that because you have to respect the coach and he's expecting you to show up. But this is what needs to be getting done right now. And the way you make the decision is not based on, you know, oh, I want to have fun. It's based on what do you need as a pitcher to either improve a performance that wasn't good or to get more improvement 
on a performance that you know can be better. And if you've had pain, you absolutely have to give yourself that rest and strength training cycle, and you need to do it as soon as possible. So what do you think of that? That is some excellent advice. I mean, it all comes down to planning, which is, you know what they say, you have to plan for success. And I think the last thing I want to say is this is probably the biggest thing, something I say almost every day to somebody who calls me. You cannot have a pitcher working on his mechanics when he's facing hitters competitively. I mean, I have pitchers that are in season right now in the minor leagues or, you know, different leagues, and they'll call me because they're having a problem and they need advice and they need to fix it right away. And it's not an injury, but it's an adjustment. We've already worked and they'll say, they'll send me something. I'll say, oh, you're doing this again. They'll go, oh, okay, great. That's different. But to call and say, I want my son to start working on his mechanics. He's had pain. Oh, yes, he's playing summer ball. No way. It is unfair. It's a waste of the money. It's a waste of the pitcher's mental energy and physical energy, and it puts the instructor in total liability because ethically, you know, you're setting the player up because now he's getting an extra load. When can you get the pitching in where you're not interfering with recovery? Plus, there's no way he's going to adapt to an adjustment when he has to face hitters five days later. So if you're listening to this and thinking, oh, well, we'll do both, we'll work on his mechanics while he's playing travel ball in the summer. No, it's not going to turn out the way that you think it is. And in fact, you set the pitcher up for injury because he's doing one thing one time and something different another time. And he ends up getting mentally distraught. So it's not respectful. So I turn down so much business because the timing isn't right. So the timing of working on mechanics has to be right. and It has to be segregated from the seasons. So I think that's one of the most important things. So that's my pearl for the day. Thank you. That is, yeah, that's a huge, that's a huge point. I mean, it, just to put in some comparison, if you were going to race your car in a race, would you do that when it needs a wheel alignment? Would you do that when it needs a tune-up? Would you do that when you know something else needs to be done to the car? I, of course you wouldn't. You would never put your car in a race if, if the tires were, were no good. You have to get the car in tip-top shape, and then you go into competition. Exactly. So thank you for that tip. And people, reconsider if you think you can do both. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. Get organized. Break out that calendar. That's right. Plan for success, as they say in the business world. Exactly. So that's it for this week. For those of you who are listening and enjoyed the show, please go learn more about Angel at gymscience.com. That's G-Y-M-S-C-I-E-N-C-E.com. And Angel, we're still running a sale on your books, right? Absolutely. There's a code for my rotation book. You put in the word rotation. Perfect. And we also have a sale on the elbow book too, right? Yes, and when they ask for the code, you put in the word elbow. That's pretty simple. All right. Yeah. And we're getting $20 off? Yes, and it's all caps on each word. Okay. Rotation in all caps or elbow in all caps. All right. We'll have the links in the show notes, and we'll be back again in about two weeks. And in the meantime, we wish you safe and effective performance on the pitching mound. <laughs>